You're listening to the Leadership Jam Session Podcast, the place where you'll get to hear leaders at all levels of management share their practical solutions to the management challenge you face every day. So let's get ready to jam. I'm your host, Rob Fonte. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Leadership Jam Session. Today's guest is Scott Miller, who is the Executive Vice President of Thought Leadership for Franklin Covey. Scott's worked there for 24 years and is also the host of a podcast for Franklin Covey, which is one of the highest subscribed podcasts in the leadership space. Scott also hosts a radio program on iHeartRadio called Great Life, Great Career. In addition, Scott is also a Wall Street Journal bestselling author, and I'm excited to have him on today's show to talk about his latest book called Management Mess to Leadership Success, 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Would Follow. Scott, it's a pleasure having you on the show today. Welcome. Hey, thanks for the invite. Honored to be here. Scott, I'm excited to have you on the show and to jam with you. So are you ready to jam? Bring it on, man. All right. So first question I want to ask you is a question that I usually reserve for the end, but I love it when I get thought leaders, leadership thought leaders on my show who not only are well-versed in leadership, but are also well-versed in experience. So I know that you have a lot of management experience, so you've been in the trenches as well. So my first question for you is looking back at your first team, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? I wish that I knew then that, you know, a leader needs to have the mindset that your job is to get work done with and through other people, with and through other people. And when that's your belief system, when that's your mindset, it requires you to have a whole different approach to leadership. You have to be thoughtful and empathic, patient, that you recognize that your way isn't the only way, that your job is as coach and mentor and guide and model, that you need to be prepared to see that team rise up beyond you in, in success and in, in fame, perhaps in compensation, that you need to really have your joy be through their success. That isn't for everyone. Not everyone should be a leader, but I'm quite grounded in that methodology that contrary to a lot of what the establishment leadership industry says, not everybody should be a leader of people. And that's okay. There's no shame, right? Not everybody should be an anesthesiologist. Not everybody should be a airline pilot. So I wish I would have understood my job was not to turn the team into my clone, or just validate me as the smartest person in the room. To quote a friend of mine, the famed author, Liz Wiseman, she wrote a seminal book called Multipliers. Can't recommend it strongly enough. Liz talks about in her book, Multipliers, your job is to be not the genius in the room, but the genius maker of others. I I didn't understand that until way way into my career. Yeah, that's so true. You know, I mean, it's the one area that a lot of new leaders struggle with, that that transition from individual contributor to now looking through a different lens. Right. And it is a hard transition to make. I mean, I think it's a brutal transition, right? I mean, Harvard Business Review reports that the average age someone is promoted, Rob, into their first management position, age 30. But the average age they receive their first leadership development training, Rob, it's 30, sorry, 42. So there's like a 12-year 12 12-year gap where you know well-intended leaders like me are wrecking carnage inside of companies because they don't know what to do. Yeah, and and it's across all industries. It's not it's not exclusive to just one versus the other. I mean, it's prevalent. No, it's it's well-intended, high-producing individual producers that for whatever reason were promoted, right? They were the most efficient dental hygienist or the most creative digital designer or like me the top 
producing salesperson. I mean, how often does the top producing salesperson in any industry, they get promoted to be sales manager because they were the ones that were meeting their monthly, quarterly, annual nut. So of course you would promote them, but it's idiotic because rarely do the competencies and the skills that make you a great sales producer make you a great sales leader. I mean, I, I was the top sales producer in my division at Franklin Covey for years. It's why I was promoted. My two most prominent strengths, Rob, on the strengths finder are competition and significance. These are good strengths to have as a salesperson, right? You're very competitive. You like to win. You want to earn the highest quota, the president's club, and the trip to Maui. You like the limelight. These are not bad competencies as a salesperson. These are horrible competencies as a sales leader. <laughs> right. I think it's an organizational responsibility when you're going to consider promoting someone into leadership. Sit that person down. And have the courage and the thoughtfulness to really talk about, is this the right promotion for you? What, what are your motives and motivation? And then walk them through, like, what's a day like in the life of being a leader of people? Because leadership is unrelenting and unrewarding and, and short-term, not very validating, right? It's having high-courage conversations and discussing the undiscussables and you know, discussing people's hygiene and performance and collaboration. and firing people and interviewing, you know, 25 people for one job. It's not what most people think it is. So true. And I, and I love the title of your book, Management Mess to Leadership Success, 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Would Follow. So I'm curious, was that your story, your perspective on this, was that part of the inspiration behind the title, behind the book? Well, no, no question. I... I you know, like you, I've been in this industry for a long time, my 30th year, 24 years the Franklin Covey, and just shy of five years with the Disney company before that, but focused on leadership development. And like you, I host this podcast where I read hundreds of books a year. I, I, I as a, like you, as a, you know, as a common courtesy, I read the book of the guest on the podcast. And I, I've read literally hundreds, if not thousands of business and leadership books in 30 years. And most of them were a little too unrelatable and kind of aspirational, right? It's hard for me, even as an officer of a public company, it's hard for me to relate to Bob Iger, right? Mm -hmm. A Fortune 10 CEO, if you will. And a lot of leadership books are written by well-intended, educated academics or professors who many of them have never run a P&L, right? Haven't fired people. It's a broad statement. But I wanted to write a leadership book that really talked about, not the underbelly, so to speak, but just my own challenge with being a leader in a leadership development company. It doesn't come easy to me. And so I also think that, I think we learn more from our messes than we do our successes. So I wrote a book, very raw, very real, very relatable for a certain audience. And I just kind of let it rip. It wasn't a tell-all, although I'm a Catholic, so it's easy for me to <laughs> confess. It wasn't hard. Uh, it kind of came naturally, but I just thought, you know, after my 24 years here at Franklin Covey, there are some consistent leadership challenges that we see our clients go through. So we curated 30 of them. And I basically just told stories, mostly messes, some successes of how I myself or I saw others struggle with them. And the book did extraordinarily well this past year because I think it was a different kind of book. And the premise, Rob, is as a leader, as a parent, as a spouse, as a neighbor, as a partner, 
as a roommate, as a brother-in-law, just own your mess. We've all got a mess going on. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody knows your messes. The receptionist does. The CEO does. Your mother-in-law does. Just own up to them because there's great power in vulnerability and transparency. And you know, more importantly, as a leader, when you own your mess, you make it safe for others to own theirs as well. Not to wallow in, in mistakes or to license bad behavior. But again, I think this premise of, People like to relate to their leaders. Gone is this sort of hierarchical aspect of leadership anymore where your leader is untouchable or you can't have a real conversation. Those days are falling fast, especially the new generation. They want to be able to have a real, transparent conversation about their passions and their fears with their leaders. And when you own your mess, people will generally cleave to that. Not always, but generally. It was very refreshing reading this this book. Love the layout of it, too. And I appreciate your vulnerability, too. And again, it speaks to lead by example. And right out of the gate, your first challenge you talk about is demonstrate humility, which I think is exactly at the heart and the root of that path to great leadership. <laughs> it's a horror story. Well, why is it a horror story? Well, the first story is about me getting promoted to be a leader over a sales team. And I managed to convince, appropriately, my vice president to let me hold kind of like a two-day retreat. We had just launched a new leadership solution in the company, and our people hadn't been through it yet, right? Kind of hard to sell something that you don't really deeply understand. So I hired a consultant in the company, and all 15 or so of this new team, most of which predated me, Rob, mm -hmm. most of them were more experienced in the team and the company than I was. I brought them all together. And started the first day, it was like an eight to five kind of training, and everybody showed up late. And they kind of trickled in at 8.15, 8.20. I don't even think we got started till like 8.30 or 9 o'clock. I'm like, guys, we're a leadership development company. We teach productivity. We teach effectiveness and efficiency. And I was livid. And back then, you know, this was 20 years ago, I was so immature, and I festered on it, and it metastasized like a cancer in me. And I made it no mistake, you know, how angry I was. And so that night I went home and it, it metastasized more like lots of things in our life. You know, sometimes things become bigger when they should be right. Especially if you're single, don't have a spouse or a partner to, you know, talk it out with you, which I didn't at the time. I'm married now, but didn't at the time. And so the next morning, what I thought was going to be Rob, my finest leadership moment, I went to the grocery store and I bought like 15 copies of the Salt Lake Tribune. And I got to the office at, you know, 7.45 for an 8 o'clock meeting. Sure enough, people trickled in, 8.15, 8.20. I, I was incensed, incensed, like personally offended. And so I opened the meeting with my finest leadership moment ever, not. And I took all the Salt Lake Tribunes. And I took out the classified section and slammed them down. I can't say it with a straight face because it's so preposterous. Slammed them down in front of everybody. And like with this flare of arrogance said, if you want a job from nine to five, Dillard's is hiring. <laughs> and then to boot, I gave them all a highlighter. Oh. And I wanted to prove a point that, you know what? Nobody, nobody has a right to work here. I actually, my intentions were good. My technique was um, horrific. I wanted to remind everybody, we're in sales. And 
you don't have a right to work here. You don't deserve to work here. You have to earn it every day, just like I do. So at least have the courtesy. I've gone to all this work to, you know, hire a consultant and get the funding and have breakfast and, you know, and I just felt like I felt offended. No one was trying to offend me. I could have handled that in so many different ways. I could have, which I would now, have sat everybody down and said, hey, can I ask you all a favor? Um, you may not recognize this, but I've gone to a fair amount of trouble to assemble this. And I put some cloud on the line, you know, getting the $10,000 for the conference room and the consultant and the materials and all that. And we're starting at eight. Can everybody just kind of prick their finger and say, we're in at eight? Can everybody, you know, be on time tomorrow out of, out of a sign of respect to me, to the consultant, and also to ourselves? That it would have gone over so much better. Um, of course, people walked out of the meeting, some threatened to quit. It was an absolute nightmare that day. Somehow, we all managed to cobble it back together and reconvene around noon or something. The moral of the story is what I just said. The best part is, I don't know, 15 years later at my wedding, almost all of them to a T came to my wedding and we roared about it over champagne and appetizers <laughs> after, the, after the service. We're all good friends now. We've all grown up. But I share stories like that because a lot of us are tempted to do things you know, in the heat of the moment. And leadership is about, about deliberation and calibrating your emotions and not always lashing out and putting some space between stimulus and your response because usually your response is regrettable. And I never could have written this book 20 years ago. Right. Oh, I think it's so important and it goes back to what you brought up before. And the reason why these these podcasts and these resources are so important goes back to to what you you talked about, where a lot of organizations they promote individuals without giving them any proper training to set them up for success, right? And so there's a lot of leaders out there thrown into right into the mix of it who are unsure of how to approach things like this. And it's great to hear oh, yeah. these type of stories, particularly from thought leaders such as yourself, to kind of share that hey. I made mistakes just like others did right out of the gate. Rob, my best advice for anybody who is promoting someone else into a leadership role or someone who is considered considering accepting a leadership position, make a T-chart. The left-hand side is the skills that you possess now as an individual contributor. And the right side is the skills, the competencies you're going to need to learn. And have your leader inventory those with you in front of you in a vulnerable and, and relatable way and say, you know, Rob, here's seven things you do really well right now as a, a, you know, a, a individual producer. And Rob, you're going to have to stop doing five of those tomorrow because these skills are not going to transfer over well into a leadership role. Hey, congrats. You mastered these. These got you the promotion, but you literally are going to have to stop doing these tomorrow. And then on the right side of the T-chart, this is so simple, but it's profound. Write out the five or six or eight or nine things the person does not possess, but they're going to need patience, listening, humility, abundance mentality, declaring your intent, um, not gossiping, whatever it is. These are leadership competencies that you need to know. You're on your way. You don't yet demonstrate these, but you're going to need to in the next couple of days and weeks and months, right? Not the next couple of hours, but had someone done that for me, I would have had a better sense for where I 
needed to go versus just bringing forward all those things that had worked for me for to get the promotion. So I just assumed arrogantly, naively, that I would keep doing them. And I wrecked havoc. I was, I was a jackass. I was a bull in a china shop doing serious damage to people. Rob, not because I was a sociopath or, you know, a bad person. I just didn't know, right? I was just bringing what had worked for me previously to a new situation, and it was a cluster bomb. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you were a little bit of a mess, just like many of us were when we first took over <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Still am, brother. Still am. <laughs> well, I think that that's great advice. So, so let me ask you, just just related to that, of of the thirty challenges that you talk about in the book, and when you look at, so I have a broad range of, of listeners, um, leaders at all different levels, and so let's just stay for one moment with with the new leaders out there, individuals who were maybe most recently promoted into management. Of the thirty challenges, which one would you say is for that group is the most important one to focus on? Yeah, if I had to pick one, I'd say challenge 10, make time for relationships. This is something that it does not come naturally to me. And let me tell you why. Dr. Covey, who's the co-founder of our firm, wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This book has sold 40 million copies. It's in its 30th year. I often will have and overhear people refer to it as the seven habits of highly successful people, or the seven habits of highly efficient people. Let me be clear about something. Dr. Covey, who all passed about eight years ago, was very deliberate and intentional. He wrote the book titled The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Because there's a massive difference, Rob, between being efficient and being effective. And I did not realize this until deep into my late 30s. I am a very efficient person. I'm very productive. I'm hardworking. I get a lot done. I like lists and check things off, right? I still work with an actual planner because it keeps me on track. There's nothing wrong with that. Being an efficient person has served me very well. I'll bet it serves the majority of your listeners very well. Independent producers are typically very efficient people. They're used to managing massive task lists and, and accomplishing things. I'm very efficient when it comes to getting up you know, on the weekday, right? I get up at three. I write my ink column for Ink Magazine from three to four. I write my books from four to six. I'm a parent and I have a full-time job. And in the evenings, I'm mowing my lawn and raking it, washing the cars. I mean, a Saturday for me is I'm that annoying neighbor that has his yard raked and mowed by 8.30, the driveway sprayed by nine, the cars washed by 10, and I'm ready for lunch at 10.20. Then this is, this is who I am. It has served me very well in most areas of my life, this efficient mindset. Where it has wrecked me, Rob, where it's created messes for me is when I try to be efficient in my relationships. You cannot be efficient with people. You must be effective. It's a whole different skill set. Dr. Covey said many wise things. One he said, which is prophetic, with people, slow is fast and fast is slow. So my best advice to a leader is recognize that with people, you have to slow down. Relationships are everything in your personal life and your professional life. This idea that people are an organization's most valuable asset, it's not true. It's total bunk. People are not a company's most valuable asset. It's the relationships between those people 
that are your ultimate competitive advantage. Because Rob can be a black belt Six Sigma, and Scott can have a Rhodes, you know, be a Rhodes Scholar from Oxford. But if Rob and Scott can't get along, diffuse conflict, complement each other's areas of weaknesses, forgive each other, pre-forgive each other, the company doesn't need us. So as a leader, it's your job to really understand how powerful an influence you can have on relationships. So someone comes to your office, close your laptop, turn over your phone, turn off your phone, take off your glasses, check in, resist your temptation to whip out all your communication skills and all your peel the onion and get to the root cause skills. Don't ask questions. Just listen. I think of all of them. Leaders that connect with their people are invincible. People don't quit leaders who love them. You know, appropriately, right? But be very, I'd say be very mindful for a, even a new generation that's coming up in the workplace that may have been a bit of a more virtual generation. They're used to, you know, being online. Nothing replaces the value of thoughtful, effective relationships. Well, I think that's well said, and I think that's fantastic advice. And, and let me ask you, Scott, because I know my question was related to to the new leaders out there, but when you look at the the leaders that get promoted and they move into that second-line leadership role, right? Now they're managing managers of people. Is there a, a different challenge based on your experience yeah. that you would carve out and say, yeah. all right, for this group, this is what they should focus on? Yeah, I'm going to give you two real quick. Uh, one is number four, challenge four, declare your intent. One of our founders said something that's, I think, just absolutely genius. He said, nearly all, if not all, conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. I'm going to repeat it. Nearly all, if not all, conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. So great leaders, effective leaders, are very deliberate on declaring their intent. Because absent facts, people make stuff up, right? Absent you declaring your motive, someone will be suspicious about it. Someone will ascribe motive to you. And as leaders, we all have agendas. Heck, we all have hidden agendas, every one of us. So if you wanna diffuse conflict and build trust and clarify expectations with your team members, at any level, integrate that phrase into your conversation. Say, my intent is, here's a great example. Hey, Rob, thanks for coming to my office today. My intent is to help you build a phenomenal career here at Franklin Covey and build a great brand. And I want you to know, in the privacy of this conversation, there are some behaviors that I'm seeing you exhibit in the weekly staff meeting that I think you might not be aware of. They're having a negative impact on how people trust you and respect you. My intent, I said earlier, was to help you build a great career here. So I think in every conversation, heck, in your personal life, with your spouse, with your kids, declare your intent up front so someone else can't confuse it or absent one, make one up. And use those words in the conversation. My intent, Rob, is to help you land your project on time, not to delay it. I do have five questions I need answered. And as soon as I'm clear on those, I will be your biggest champion. Don't let somebody else hijack your intent. The next thing I'd say is challenge 12. 
This is leading difficult conversations. I've come to learn that the number one role, in my opinion, of a leader is to recruit and retain quality talent. People who are, in fact, more talented than you. And I can riff on that later if you wanted me to. I think the second most incumbent role of a leader is leading difficult conversations. In fact, it's incumbent. I mean, if you can't do this, then you need to step down. Because giving someone feedback on one of their blind spots, we all have them, is an invaluable role you can play in someone's career. You literally can become a transition figure in their life. Unlike perhaps previous leaders that didn't have the guts or, or didn't have the courage or the diplomacy or any of those you know, skills that don't come to us overnight. They're pra- you have to practice them and role play them and you'll fail at some of them. But as a leader, you owe it to your people to sit them down in whatever is the right environment appropriate and talk them through how to acknowledge their blind spots, how to become more self-aware, and how to change some of their behaviors. This is a massive gift you can give people on your team. It's not easy. No, it's not. And usually it is the one area that's often where I see the disconnect, where leaders fail to have that discussion for whatever reason. Yeah, because it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard, right? And and, and it, no, and no one, no one masters this. There's no college course on this. I mean, you know, there's ways to give reinforcing feedback and ways to give redirecting feedback. I, I have found the best is to role play it, right? If you've got an issue, let's just say I need to give Rob some feedback that Rob is, you know, hijacking every conversation. He's a bit of a know-it-all and never takes responsibility for mistakes. The first thing I'm going to do, Rob, is I'm going to go role play that conversation with a confidant over an HR. Or if you're not in a company, role play it with someone who's wiser than you. I don't even need to tell them what your name is because then that person can give you feedback on your body language, on your rate, your pitch, your tone, the level of courage versus the level of diplomacy that you're exhibiting. And once you've kind of role played through that, I think you could use the previous challenge to clear your intent. You know, say up front, hey, Rob, um, my intent is to call you in today to give you some feedback on, I think, an area that might be a blind spot for you. I have to tell you, Rob, I'm actually a bit nervous about it. So if I use the wrong words or I don't say the right things, would you pre-forgive me? I might need to ask for a do-over. My intent is to help you be better aware of some things you're doing that I'm quite certain are tripping you up. I mean, most people... If you start a conversation that way, most people will let their guard down if they don't, if they aren't suspicious of your intent. Of course, that takes that you can't just all of a sudden burst on the scene, right? Because you build trust, you build rapport with people over time. You don't just earn that, you know, in one setting. So being a leader requires that you're earning the right to have that implicit trustworthiness in these conversations. If you are a gossiper, if you are, if you're cutting corners, if you're cooking the books, if you're a jerk, you have no credibility. It's why being a model as a leader is so important. It's it's a heavy weight to bear. I don't mean to minimize. It. And I'm so glad you went back and, and made the connection to, to intent because uh, you know my perspective has been, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like I think we're aligned on this. That oftentimes we learn these concepts or we think of them, unfortunately, in isolation of each other, but in reality. They are all connected and some more connected than others. And as I read through your book, you know, feedback 
I immediately did connect it to intent as well as how that is the foundation of, of building trust as well. Is that fair? It, it is. In fact, my best advice to people, if you want to become and build your own leadership credibility, be very thoughtful around what you are modeling because what you model gets valued. Do not gossip. Do, do not be what Dr. Covey called disloyal to the absent. But I love one of these quotes that he talks about is be a light, not a judge, be a model, not a critic. And Dr. Covey also said, when you defend those who are absent, you retain the trust of those present. How, how I speak about Tina in front of Rob demonstrates to Rob how I will speak about Rob in front of Tina. And you know, gossiping is just a cancer in our families and our churches and our workplaces and our committees, you know, you name it. Be very, very thoughtful about how you speak about people because that's your brand and you can set the standard to raise everybody up without shaming them. You know, trust is, trust is an outcome between people of behaving in a trustworthy manner. Rob, whenever I'm out giving keynotes, I'll say, hey, raise your hand if you're trustworthy. And invariably, you know, 90% of the audience raises their hands. And then I shame them and say, nope. And they put their hands down and I say, who decides if you're trustworthy? And everybody says, the other person. That's exactly right. You don't get to deem yourself trustworthy. Somebody else says, I trust Rob because I've seen him in these situations and he's proven himself worthy of my trust. Therefore, I will better appreciate his advice, his courage, his feedback, and I'm more likely to listen to his um, insights to me during a difficult conversation. Yeah, well said. Thank you for sharing, Scott. For my listeners, we're recording this right now through the through the height of the coronavirus pandemic. And I think we're what's got almost two weeks into this whole national lockdown. Yeah. And yeah. let's be honest, there's, there's no playbook out there for, for managing teams through this time. Uh, I'm constantly getting calls from managers who, who have never managed remotely before. I've got some managers who are trying to get up to speed on technology. You've got personal lives blending with professional lives. So I do have one more question for you. Is there anything from your perspective and from your experiences, any advice that you can share with our listeners that if there's one thing they can focus on, what would that be to help them manage their teams more effectively? Yeah, I'd say be gentle, be forgiving, right? This is uh, uncharted territory for everyone, not to mention compounded with a bit of, you know, confusing and, you know, miscommunication from the leader of our country. So it's a very challenging time, especially those who are fearful of losing their jobs, have, you know, uh, their homes are disrupted, they have kids at home. As a leader, I'd encourage you to be patient, be thoughtful, recognize that it's a very scary time. I would say be extra patient. Don't be hard on yourself. You don't have to work 10 hours a day. Your productivity might be lower than normal. You might have to do some self-assessment. When is your peak? When is your trough? When is your recovery, right? Ebb and flow with your energy. You might have to realize, you know what? My peak is really 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. You know what? Take a break. Take an hour break. I don't think we should be doing more with less. I think we should be doing less with less, but less might be higher return. Have the self-awareness and the discipline and the patience to say, okay, 
what is my greatest contribution? As opposed to trying to do all the same things a different way, maybe you do different things a different way. As a leader, empathize with your people, right? Recognize that you're there for them, listen to their stories, be more flexible, connect with them daily, text, email, preferably on video. It's a very lonely, scary time. You can over-communicate. It, it is possible. So be, I mean, look at, look at you know, some of the leaders of the countries right now. There's you know, a dichotomy between some governors and quite frankly the president. You know? that's, that's not a political statement. It's just you know, I think most people when they see Andrew Cuomo speak versus President Trump, you know, they get a different sense of security. Um, and I wish the president more thoughtful counsel and more deliberation in what he says. Don't be the person who shoots from the hip. Be deliberate about what you say. Speak with one voice. Be transparent. Share information when you have it. And let your team know that you're struggling as well. People like leaders they can identify with. Moment of levity, some laughter. Um, it'll pass. We're going to survive. Some of us aren't, as we hear about, in the, you know, I even say in the news, right, about the increase right now. But um, a leader's job is tested during these tough times, right? This is when you're really being tested as a leader. So recognize that not everybody's the same. People deal with change with different levels of emotion, and you might need to treat some people differently. You can treat people differently and still treat everyone fairly. Yeah, and you know what was coming through too as I was listening to you with with a lot of the the advice that you're sharing, I did kind of go back to one of your one of your challenges which was make time for relationships. And it sounds like to me maybe this is the yeah. most important time to really try to leverage that during these times with your people. Personally and professionally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're absolutely okay. right. Well, Scott Unfortunately, we are out of time, but I sincerely appreciate you coming on the show and sharing a lot of your experience and being vulnerable and love your book. And for my listeners out there, we will put links to Scott's book in the show notes as well as um, his, his information or as well as his website. And Scott, you are pretty visible out there on social media. I think that's fair to say. So a lot of my listeners can also find you on all the <laughs> social media platforms. My wife says that and not as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, once again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. I appreciate you inviting me on and giving me the platform. Remember, everybody, uh, be cognizant of when to be efficient and when to be effective. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening in today. If you're enjoying the podcast, then click the subscribe button, leave a review, and I'll talk to you soon on the next episode of the Leadership Jam Session Podcast.